welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is travis wars from ashcraft capital welcome travis hey rama thanks so much for having me i'm thrilled to be here Thank you. A little bit about Travis. Travis Wars is a full-time passive investor. He has been investing in real estate since 2009 in multifamily, single family and vacation rentals. Travis is also the director of investor relations at Ashcraft Capital. He dedicates his time to educating others who are looking to be more hands-off in real estate. With that Travis, would you like to add anything? Yeah, no, that's a great recap. <laughs> Basically, uh, you know, I mean, I think we all kind of want to help other people. people and things that we've found success in and um you know I had success on the active side of real estate but unfortunately kind of burned myself out there and now I've found some success on the passive side and I'm enjoying that a lot more so that's how I choose to help people awesome and why you choose passive investing route Yeah, it's a good question. It was interesting. I was very career focused from 2009 to 2015. I worked in the oil industry, so I had a very heavy commitment job, you know, 14-hour work days and 100-hour work weeks and, you know, working away from home and out of state and even out of country over in the in the Middle East and so that was where I made my money. That's where my attention and my time had to go by default and I was really trying to scale up a active real estate portfolio with single family homes and you can imagine how difficult that is with that amount of spare time on your hands virtually zero <laughs> or negative time as I used to call it and so you know as I got several properties in the middle of flips and vacation rentals and the whole deal I was in over my head you know I just I didn't see a way to scale that or to grow it and so by 2015 I had just decided I love real estate I'm passionate about cash flow and the tax advantages and how it can help people retire and achieve financial freedom. I just love the asset, but I did not love the business. I did not love managing tenants. I did not love taking my weekends away to go search for properties, things like that. So, I moved over to the passive side when I learned about syndications and private placements and that I could be kind of a co-owner in real estate and let some other folks kind of do the heavy lifting and I could just kind of uh write off that success and do the mailbox money thing, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, awesome. And thanks for sharing that. And uh, what kind of advantages as a passive investor will get? Yeah, exactly. The biggest thing is the ability to be hands-off with real estate. To, you know, a lot of people get confused because you can buy turnkey properties in single family that already have a tenant and a lease in place and and they're mostly passive in my experience, but it's never completely passive because when you have to replace a roof or hot water tank or, you know, the H OA is after you or <laughs> whatever there's always something that's going to require your time and your attention so the biggest benefit is just being able to vet out a sponsor and a deal and say yes i want to take part in this opportunity here's $50,000 and now i'm a 1% owner of a 400 unit apartment building something like that and then there's going to be professional property managers there's going to be professional asset managers there's going to be professional and licensed contractors and CPAs and attorneys and everybody 
everybody is going to be working this deal except for me. <laughs> I'll just be receiving some proceeds for it. So who is that right for? A lot of people, but mostly the folks that have a career focus that don't really want to be taking their eye off the ball. So think, you know, doctors and dentists and engineers and business owners and athletes. And there's so many folks out there that can't necessarily be the weekend warrior. You know, they, they have to really double down on kind of what's working for them on their primary income. It wouldn't make a lot of sense to go out and try to do fix and flips every weekend and stuff like that. So that's the biggest demographic I think that can benefit from being a passive investor. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, so Travis, like how many days you invested as passively? Yeah, I've done, I don't know the exact number. I think it's like 33 passive deals as a limited partner or something like that. And then of course I have other assets as well that produce passive income, whether that be a, you know, a publicly traded REIT, a real estate investment trust, or, you know, first lien notes or, you know, ATM machines, things like that. Okay. So what are the like maximum number of deals in a single operator? Yeah, I've done 10 deals with Ashcroft. Capital, who I'm also investor relations with and investing with them about four years. So that, that's a hefty amount. That's almost a third of you know my portfolio with one operator. But I've divvied up the rest among about 14 different uh, sponsorship groups. Awesome. So what is that reason behind investing like 10 deals with the same like Ashcroft? Yeah, that's a good point. I um, Years ago, so my first few deals that I invested in were <laughs> some tough lessons learned. I, I didn't have enough clarity around my criteria and my goals and my objective and, and what was important as a passive investor. So it wasn't until I did get clear and I did take the time to write out my full criteria that things really started to change for me as a passive investor. And the first group I came across that kind of uh, checked off all of the boxes, if you will, on my criteria was Ashcroft. And so it started with just one deal, you know, and I kind of sat back, let it ride, see, you know, how that went. And then that led to two and then to three and then to four. And it was just a good alignment for me. That doesn't mean it's a good alignment for everyone. It's just, I wanted value add deals in Texas and Florida from 200 to 600 units with monthly distributions and monthly reporting. And I had all these metrics and, and they just, like I said, they just checked all those boxes. So, but I also am a firm believer in diversification. So, you know, there will never be one group out there that I go put 100% of my money with. I will have to cap that at a certain point. Awesome. And thanks for sharing that. And what kind of strategies you would follow as a passive investor? Yeah, I like kind of these five-year buy and hold renovation plays. So value add plays where we go in and, um, you know, rebrand the asset a lot of times, uh, you know, upgrade the landscaping, add amenities that weren't there before, fix up the pool area and the deck and, you know, maybe put a barbecue area or a covered carports or a dog park, you know, th these kinds of things, win-win for ownership and for tenants. And then of course we renovate the units and, and all that good stuff. And then we're usually finding a buyer in maybe three, five years down the road, something like that. And uh, I like that because it gives you a little velocity of capital. You know, you're, you're not tied into something 
forever or indefinitely. There's a couple of groups I also invest with, but I limit my exposure there in my portfolio that, you know, they never project to sell. They just go in, they, they add value and they say, we're just going to hold this as long as reasonably possible. And that might be 20 years. And so there's some advantages to that, but there's also some disadvantages. And I just like the frequency of turning over my capital in three to five years so I can find, you know, two new deals to put that money into later. So that's really what I'm focused at is stabilized assets that we're buying with 85% or greater occupancy and a long track record of collections and uh, historics to go by. So I'm a little more of a conservative investor, I guess, in that sense. Okay, great. And what other factors you would consider before investing in any deal? Yeah, my hierarchy is that, uh, you know, number one is the sponsorship team and the general partners. Number two is the market and the sub market that uh, we're going to be investing in. And then the, the last would be the deal itself. And not to downplay or discredit the deal, it's very important, you know, to do your due diligence on the deal itself. But I had some hard lessons learned from kind of having that backwards in the beginning and looking way too closely at the deal specifically, getting really caught up in the numbers and, you know, analysis paralysis and that kind of stuff and not really thinking about, um, you know, who's actually going to be executing the business plan. Do they have any track record or experience? Have they done this before? Is this their specialty? You know, what's the past results? All that good stuff. I failed to ask those questions in the beginning. And uh, today, that's really what my focus is, is primarily asking those questions to make sure that this business plan is going to be reasonably achievable. Yes, that's cool. And thanks for sharing that. And how do you find these great opportunities? Good point. Tough question to answer. For me, it's not tough for me to answer. It's tough to, to answer for other people. The way I did it is I started kind of in my own network, my own backyard, if you will. I joined some local real estate meetup groups and I met people face to face out in Colorado. And I felt like for some reason it was important to partner with someone local. I don't know why I felt that way. I don't feel that way anymore, but that's how I started. And then it's kind of a word of mouth game. I joined more and more groups. I started attending real estate conferences nationwide. And, you know, I got introduced to, you know, hundreds of people initially, thousands of people over time. And and I just got to, to see the key players, to, to meet the uh, general partners at, at events and to meet lots of other passive investors where I could kind of pick their brain and say, who are you investing with? And what's your experience been, you know, good or bad? And that's kind of my approach. I know it's not reasonable for everyone to hop on planes and get hotels and spend all that money and time going nationwide to conferences. But hey, we got a lot of online conferences happening nowadays. You've got bigger pockets, forums, you've got podcasts. I mean, there's so many outlets to find sponsors now. I think I would probably do it in more of a digital way nowadays. Yeah, awesome. And thanks for sharing again. And how do you track your passive investment uh, progress and performances? Yeah, I'm uh, working on a much more detailed tracker at the moment. But uh, so far, I've just kind of done it the old school way. I have an Excel sheet, I plug in kind of who the sponsor is, what the deals called, how much I invested when I wired the funds, and then kind of I outline the, the projected returns, whether that be a preferred return or 
an overall, you know, IRR in five years. And I just, I track it monthly. If it's a monthly distribution deal, I track it quarterly for everything else. I don't have anything that's uh, less than, than quarterly in frequency, or I should say more. And so, yeah, just real simple stuff. I'm cash flow focused is, is kind of the reason for that. When these sponsors are talking about potential equity upside five years down the road, the fact is that nobody knows what's five years down the road. We don't know if we're in a recession, a depression, another bull market. We have no idea what cap rates are, what interest rates are, what the Fed's going to do. So it's out of our control. So I don't put a lot of emphasis on the equity side of these deals, though historically speaking, and in my experience, it's always been there. But I'm really looking at uh, reasonable and conservative cash flow projections. And I'm kind of basing my numbers personally off of that. Okay. So and what do you do if, as a passive investor if deal does not go well? Yeah, good point. Well, thankfully, I've only had, you know, one or two kind of struggle, <laughs> you know, so far, knock on wood, not not losing money on the real estate side, have lost money on, on other aspects of investing. You know, as a limited partner, sometimes you have some voting rights, sometimes, you know, a, a webinar, conference call or emails or surveys will be part of the deal, whether, you know, they should sell an asset early or what they should do in a certain circumstance. Other groups aren't going to give that choice, you know. So it's something to be aware of that you're really instilling your trust, as I said earlier, in the general partners, in the sponsorship team to make sure that the deal goes off right, you know, to that they're going to be making the best decisions that they can on your behalf. And uh, so it's, it's extremely important to do your due diligence on the team and on the individuals, because at the end of the day, it's not your own property. You don't go in there and say, you know, I think it's a good time to sell. I think it's a good time to refinance. I think we should do this, that, or the other usually isn't going to go over. <laughs> so so you're, you're kind of, you know, they're illiquid investments. You know, this is part of the risk that needs to be analyzed. You know, what is your risk tolerance? And again, how do you feel about non-performing deal when you've got five years to go on the hold period, you know? So need to be comfortable with that. And if you're not, then this may not be the right investment for you. You may want something that you can, uh, that's publicly traded that you can just get out of tomorrow if you need your money back, even if that means taking a small loss. Yeah, so right. And you started investing passively from 2009. And what has changed from then? Yeah, so passively, you know, when in 2015, obviously, we were in a, a great bull market, things were very strong, there was still some uncertainty, you know, the election and Donald Trump and the tax change and you know, North Korea, there's a lot of stuff going on in the news, a lot of fear still. So not to discredit or forget that stuff. But yeah, th there were some great deals to be had. And, and so what happened is I had this epiphany moment. But when I was deciding to go from active to passive, I would have said in 2015, a reasonable expected cash flow projection in these syndications I do would have been about, you know, 8% a year annualized. Some of them were higher. And I don't think a whole lot was lower. So to me, that seemed very conservative. So I based all my projections off of that. I would say the biggest difference today is, you know, we've come another five years down the road, you know, cap rates are are lower. Uh, preferred returns perhaps have, have moved from, uh, you know, eight 
to maybe seven or six. I've even seen lower. Depends on the asset class that you're in. So yeah, I mean, part of that is to be conservative for COVID and the unknown. And and so you have to take conservative underwriting with a grain of salt. I think that's uh, completely acceptable and necessary right now to perhaps do some lower projected returns based on, you know, just being conservative. The other thing is, I think a lot of groups are, are paying too much. I think there's a lot of overbought property and, um, you know, cost per door and, and what have you is just, uh, it's too high. And so accordingly, your returns have come down and uh, you're still taking the same amount of risk, if not more risk today than, you know, you were in, in 2015 and 2016. So that's why the due diligence is so important and, you know, getting a little bit of education first before diving into all of this stuff. So whether that's a book, a podcast, a mentor, it's important to kind of lay the foundation out for what it is you're investing in. So right. And thanks again for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. And would you share any of your best passive investment experience so far? Sure. Yeah. There was a deal I partnered with in Arizona with a group and when I was a limited partner and, um, you know, it was a, I don't know, 400 unit or something. And we went in thinking this is going to be like a five to seven year hold. And we're going to do this big value add play. And, you know, we're going to try to, you know, basically double money in that time frame, five to seven years. And about uh, 12 months into that, as we're, you know, working through the, the first units and the renovations, we got a completely curveball off market offer to purchase that from us. Took a while to close it. So I would say about a total of 18 months in from the time that I wired funds to the the time out of the deal, we sold it. And it was, um, you know, the the net result to the limited partners like myself was about uh, 40% IRR. So uh, we did very well in a short amount of time. It was kind of one of those unexpected uh, equity pops. So to me, as a limited partner, that was a higher return than I was making uh, actively in the single family space. And I didn't have to do a thing. So that was a, a beautiful moment. Yeah, that's awesome. And would you share any of your worst past investment experience? Yeah, I went into a deal in uh, in Georgia and uh, the sponsorship team was pretty new. I think this was probably one of the bigger deals, if not the biggest deal they had done to date. And they had only had a couple under their belt at this point. And, um, you know, basically everything went wrong. It was the perfect storm. They had bought the property by purchasing an existing LLC instead of creating a new entity to own the property. That existing LLC had some liability that came up, you know, some pending lawsuits, things that were unknown at the time of purchase. We had to take care of that stuff. Once we got through that, distributions got postponed because of it. After that happened, uh, we found out one of the partners was kind of siphoning some of the money. It was a part of the property management company. So we fired them, then they fired back with a lawsuit. And so then we had to stop distributions because of the lawsuit. And I mean, it was just on and on and on. I could go on for half an hour of all the bad things that happened. And bottom line is we just had to sell early. I mean, there was some equity in the deal, thank God, because otherwise we would have probably taken a loss on that and uh, bought at a good price in a good market at a good time. But man, everything went wrong. <laughs> and so that was a, a hard lesson learned as to why experience is so important on the GP side of the deal. Yeah, so Ron, thanks for sharing that experience. Yeah. 
Yeah, and what is your current focus, and what are you currently excited about? I'm excited about you know continuing in this asset class. I did so much back testing, research, looking at history before I decided to go all in on multifamily and on private placement investing. You know, the fact is, I said, look, this is going to take a ton of my time and effort and energy. Okay, if I'm going to dedicate and put nearly my entire net worth into something like this, I better. Know what I'm doing. I better find an asset that's going to be around in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You know, I can't be chasing the the shiny object or the, the you know cryptocurrency today and some startup company tomorrow and you know investing in in that kind of stuff. I need to think stabilized long term things. And and so I love the the idea and of affordable housing. I mean, not only do we all just need a place to live, of course that's true, but how many folks out there are struggling to find affordable options? options and places to live talking about you know a thousand dollars per month rent you know for the average American not subsidies and section 8 from the government but just general you know private affordable housing so I'm excited because it's worked for me for a number of years it's worked for some folks in my network for 40 years plus it's just an asset that I believe in and I feel really good about helping other people understand real estate in general and also you know, the private placement side of things and, and being able to, uh, you know, build up cash flow for retirement or perhaps early retirement. Awesome. And what is the one advice that impacted you? The, yeah, I got a piece of advice years ago and from a mentor of mine, and it's find what's working for you and double down on it. And for me, that was real estate. I know I left out a lot of my story, but leading up to me trying out real estate was me failing at about 25 different businesses. <laughs> they were all small ventures, uh, starting out in high school, throughout college, and then post-college. And I mean, I tried all kinds of things. I just had all the audio rental companies and clothing lines and all of these things and nothing worked, nothing worked at all. And then all of a sudden, real estate, and I started seeing passive income and cash flow roll in. And I thought, this is a really cool concept. And so I doubled down on it. I quadrupled down on it. And here we are. Yes. So any one person habit that contributes to your success? I would say self-education. I always kind of draw back to that. I love reading. I listen to podcasts, as I mentioned, mentors and coaches. You know, I'm the weirdo on, on a Sunday with nothing to do sitting at home and I'm reading a book on on real estate, or I'm watching a documentary to learn something about the stock market, you know. <laughs> so uh, I think been a tremendous upper hand to keep current with those things. I think that's the reason why uh, so many people do chase the shiny object because there's not enough perspective or depth around investing. And so how would you know whether that's a good deal or a bad deal or what have you, if you have no, no context around it. So I tell everyone, um, you know, try to find a balance between between the education and taking action. You don't just want to read books, you know, like I did in 2015. I read like 52 books that year. You don't just want to do that and then not take any action or practical steps because honestly, I ended up wasting a lot of time that year uh, because I did that. Yeah, thank you. So any one book that impacted your life and what way? Yeah, and in fact, I just put out a, a blog on it. The Cash Flow Quadrant by uh, Robert Kiyosaki shows you the four different quadrants of how you can earn money 
as an employee, a small business owner, a big business owner, or an investor. And when I really got to understand why and how taxes really work and how I was paying a ton in taxes when I was a highly paid W-2 employee and how I moved over to the I quadrant as an investor. And in a lot of cases, you can pay zero tax legally uh, or let's say, you know, capped out at, you know, 20%, you know, if you're in a high bracket for, you know, some long-term capital gains. So not a CPA or tax advisor, but hey, that was a super eye-opening book and uh, and helped me make this pivot in my life uh, back in 2015. And how are you giving back to community, Travis? Yeah, I give back my time. I also, of course, give money and charity and I do those things as well. But here's the thing. I freed up enough of my personal time through being a passive investor at an early stage in my life. I'm very grateful for that. But what I decided to do is give back my time to other people on a similar path or just on any kind of real estate entrepreneurial path. So I set up a Calendly earlier this year. And so anybody can get on there from my my LinkedIn or my Facebook or my bigger pockets or this podcast or whatever, you can click the link, you can find a 15 minute block of time and we can do a Q&A. Anything we've talked about on this podcast, anything I've blogged about or done video content on or what have you, how that stuff pertains to you and your situation specifically, you know, I'm, I'm not an advisor or licensed in, in any way, but I'm just happy to lend a hand if it's you're wanting to do a, a house hack or a vacation rental or a fix and flip, or you want to learn about this passive investing stuff and private placements. So that's really how I give back right now is um, giving my time uh, week to week. Cool. And best way we can connect with you, Travis. Yeah. So to set up that call, and again, just a caveat, there's no upsell. I don't have any training programs or coaching or books or anything, but you can go to um, ashcroftcapital.com forward slash connect with Travis. And uh, you can set up a, a call there on my calendar. In addition to that, I have a downloadable PDF. It's called Understanding Real Estate Private Placements. It's a 20 pager with industry terminology, how to vet deals, sponsors, markets, questions to ask, FAQs. It's a great resource to have. You can download that there as well. So look forward to connecting. If I can help you in any way, please reach out. Thank you, Travis. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your past investment experience. You bet, Rama. Thanks for having me. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.